Bulwraka, my name is Fintan Lutunathamboa, and this is the Beyond the Narrative podcast. This is a podcast that values the story that lives in everyone. It showcases the complex and dynamic truths of everyday Pacific Islanders and those that are blessed enough to call the Pacific home. It hopes to consciously seek out complete narratives and truths and at its core believes in justice through storytelling and purpose through service. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond the Narrative podcast and I hope that you enjoy the show. I'm Fintan Nudanathamboa and this is the Beyond the Narrative podcast. Uh, today we're coming uh, coming at you uh, from one of the most stunning locations that we've ever recorded this podcast at. Uh, we're at the Beach House along the Coral Coast in the Fiji Islands. Uh, and in my field of vision, I can see at least four kayaks that are like resting on the, on, on the sand. Uh, the sea's pretty calm and, uh, you know, there's a lot of energy and, and excitement here at the Beach House. So, you know, if you hear people talking in the background or kids crying, you know, that's just part of the part of the scene. And we're here at the Beach House uh, because we're very fortunate to uh, have some time with Matisse Walkden Brown slash Statham. (laughs) (laughs) Straight from my Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Maddie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, um, my name is Matisse, or Maddie. Um, I am a mum of two. I am a climate activist. I am a... Oh, gosh, it's actually more difficult than what you think. Um, Okay. Um, I am from Fiji and from Australia. Um... What else? I was the head of the Pacific for Greenpeace for five years, which is how I got to know Fenton quite well. Um, I've now moved into um, into business, and uh, yeah. Um, oh, I'm, I my family runs the beach house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and you moved into not just business, but some sort of uh, like it's. Thinking through sustainable business, yes, absolutely ways of working. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. So and, uh, yeah, we, we can we can talk about that a little bit more later. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, but I'm wondering if we could just to kick off our time together. Uh, we've heard a little from you, and I love that one of your very first ways in which you identified yourself was as a mother. Of course, right? I've mm-hmm. spoken to a few people who are parents, and I'm just like, and you're also a parent. Like you yeah. can be, you can play this role and be this like mm-hmm. full human being. So I'm, I'm really glad that you uh, brought that in. Uh, Maddie, I do, I do uh, as with most guests, I ask them about the story of their name. Uh, so yeah, we'd be so, uh, yeah, we're excited to hear what the story of your name is. My name, Matisse, I get this question a lot actually, funnily enough. Um, so my name is uh, actually a male name in Europe. It is from Andy Matisse, who is a male artist. But my parents picked my name out because my mum, when she was pregnant with me, she was living out on Malolo Island. Um, she was a waitress and my dad was the boat boy in um, on this island. And uh, they found, I think my mum stumbled across a Bambini magazine, which was a, it was a magazine that um, 
came out of Australia, but it featured a lot of Pacific Island kids in this magazine. And there was a little girl, she was Tahitian, um, and there was a little girl wearing a really bright dress and it said Matisse wears, and she was like a five-year-old. So I was actually named after a little Tahitian girl that we don't know. Um, and I think that that came from my parents' sort of mixed background. My mum grew up in PNG, but she's Kavalangi. Uh, she met my dad at university and he was Kavalangi from Fiji and I think they both always felt a little bit displaced. And so I think my name, the fact it actually is European but derived somehow from the island in itself kind of speaks to my family feeling like we're kind of from between the worlds a little bit. Um, and I guess between genders. <laughs> um, so it's, I like the fact that it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's got this um, Pacific element to it, even though a lot of people that I meet don't, don't assume that it has anything to do with, with Fiji. For me, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and at the beginning of the podcast, I introduced you as Matisse Walkden Brown slash Statham. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell, tell us a little bit more about the Walkden Brown and, Walkden and Statham? Brown? Yeah. So my, Okay, well, actually, you know, I've just realized my name is sort of interesting. So the Walkton Brown segment of my name comes from my grandfather. Um, he was Doug Walkton Brown. He's He was uh, he came to Fiji uh, in the 50s or even 40s. I feel bad. I don't know that. Um, he came here as a missionary. He and my, and my grandmother came here as missionaries originally and then um, very quickly gave up their Australian passports to become full Fijian citizens, moved out of the church and moved into agriculture. And then my grandfather was the Minister of Agriculture in Fiji, um, with the Alliance Party for quite a few years. Um, very good friends with Ratumara and was kind of from that era. Um, and he, um, they lived in Nelsori. Um, all of my uncles and aunties went to school at Suva Grandma. They're actually all walking around the property today because we've got a family reunion here at the moment. So there's 49 Walkton Browns on site at the moment um, from different areas of the family. But actually his name, the Walkton Brown segment of his name is kind of interesting because he his... It was either his mother or his grandmother put her foot down back in the day and wanted to hyphenate the names because she was a, um, a you know a very strong feminist and uh, some of the family did it so some of so some of the sons became walked and brown and some remained browns um, and so to this, to this day I've still got some relatives that are either just browns or walked and brown yeah and then Statham is my husband's last name and I haven't. Um, committed to, <laughs> to changing my name just yet, um, apart from on Instagram, and we'll just watch that space. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about it. Um, I'm what does um what does that girl say, uh, Jamila? She's like, I'm a feminist in progress. I'm trying to figure out what my stance is on changing names, and I'm yeah, yeah, halfway there. <laughs> That's so cool. So let me get this straight. So there's because of the family reunion, there's about. 49 Walkden Browns. Through marriage as well. We've got like marriage and kids and yeah, there's a bunch of us here. And through marriage and kids, Mm -hmm. there's at least four Walkden Browns slash Stathams. Yes. (laughs) 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 Okay, cool, cool. That's that's so cool. Um, And I I wanted to pull on a particular thread that you mentioned. I didn't know this about Mm. your grandfather. Uh, And that your grandparents came over to do missionary work, right? I I think which, which for me is... Is interesting because one of the another question that I wanted to ask you was how much of a role you reckon um, religion or spirituality has played in in your life, right? You, right now, you're like a you also identified as a climate activist. You spoke about how your family went from like 
missionaries, which is basically organizing mm -hmm. in a religious context, uh, to agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so if you're thinking about that as like stewardship over the earth with agriculture and so on and so forth, I'm curious to, to hear from you around... Um, yeah, how much of a role spirituality and religion played in your upbringing, if at all? Really interesting question. So um, recently, this is just to tie this into something that happened last week, actually. I was speaking to my father-in-law and my my parents-in-law are both very religious and I'm always asking them questions about, about their religion. And I um, pulled out something that I wrote when I was 17 as my final, um, as my final assignment for my religious class um, in Australia when I was at boarding school. And we had to write this belief statement. And my first line in my belief sta statement at 17 years old was, I do not believe in a commercial God. And I s stand by that today. I don't believe in a God that... Um, is packaged, I guess, for us in a certain way. Um, so I don't necessarily believe in any particular story about God, but I do believe in the message that God um, uh, God and faith tells us. So I believe in all the messages, but I don't necessarily believe in, you know, whether it happened with a bunch of guys and sheep and one particular man on a cross. I don't believe in that per se, but I do believe in people having faith. And I think that kind of being between the Western world and also the Pacific, I have seen what a lack of faith does to people. Um, and I believe that there's a link between forgetting about a higher something and a rise in depression and anxiety. So I see that in people. We've kind of, we've, especially in the Western world, I'm feeling people, um, I guess, feeling more alone, not, not, not wanting to question uh, their their place I, I guess and I'm I personally and I've got no proof to back this up um see see that sort of feeding into their 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 higher anxiety and depression so although I don't necessarily subscribe to one particular faith I definitely have faith in something um and my mom calls it the greater universe so I was raised between <laughs> very strong um Christian grandparents and then very hippie um kind of existential mother who who definitely has strong spirituality but again doesn't necessarily go to church I'm open to it all really I think there's elements of truth in in, in all the stories <clears throat> so and I want to raise my kids to make their own mind up about that and I have the utmost respect for people that have a, have strong faith and utmost respect for those that create their own wow that is so cool thank you there's, there's a lot there around like um, knowledge is power yeah and the way that you can especially with your children the way you can you, you give them all the information exactly and support them to make their own yep. decision right mm. uh, yeah and I love that line I don't believe in a commercial God mm. right 17 years old what I do you know, know? look at that <laughs> and I, it was funny reading my belief statement because a lot of it um, was around believing in forgiveness which I think is kind of the message um, forgiving yourself forgiving other people and I believe that's whether or not that's you know the story that we're read in the Bible in the Quran whatever that, that the message kind of comes through as the same is that you love your neighbor you love them through things we love ourselves through things through this life um, so I do definitely believe in that and even at 17 I was talking quite a lot about believing in forgiveness and another line that I had in my belief statement was I do not believe that money is the measure of a man <clears throat> instead count how many times he laughs a day or make someone else laugh and it's funny that this this humor kind of um train of thought was already this humor and lightness was already um you know quite important to me at that age and I feel like that's actually something that my grandparents gave us as well they were very light of, at heart <clears throat> um and you know you only have to talk to one of the many Walton Browns around here to realize how how much um sort of remaining that innocent child 
I don't know, was always important to my family. Yeah. And remains to be so. Yeah, and I, uh, I love this so much. You spoke about so many important values, right? Mm. That really should... That, that for me, I think, is, is what humanity should look like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you spoke about faith. Like exactly, believing yeah. in something greater than ourselves and resilience, right? This helps us That's get through it. it. The resilience thing is so important and right. I think we're losing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. And, and there's like many ways you can tap into resilience or, and manifest it. And mm-hmm. I think this is one pathway, mm-hmm. right? Believing in something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you spoke about uh, forgiveness. Yeah. I think, which is really great. Yeah. And you also spoke about humor, which, which for me, I'm looking at these words, humor, faith, <laughs> resilience, forgiveness. And like in my mind, a Pacific Islander forms. Exactly. Right. 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 <laughs> Isn't that so true? Uh, yeah. And, That's so funny. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, and especially you started off being very, like, sure of, like, this is who I am, and I know that I move in between worlds. Yeah. And so it's so great that you can take, like, parts of yourself from, like, the Pacific mm-hmm. and, like, see how it, like... Because you really understand, like, the different manifestations of yourself mm-hmm. when you're fully submerged in a culture that's, like, different from yours. Absolutely. Right? So you notice all these little things, nuances and complexities, and you're just like, oh. It's, I was, and I was speaking to you guys about this before we started recording. I was saying how I'm noticing being back in Australia now mm-hmm. after spending, you know, five years here solidly... Um, I'm noticing when I'm missing the mark with my communication with people in Australia and it's because I'm tapping into those those sort of threads of of being that that is just natural for us here well as I think it sometimes makes people really uncomfortable in what I've seen in you know the eastern suburbs of Sydney um it's it talking to people about their resilience or talking to people about how they're feeling or talking to people about um, their mental health or something like that. It does make people uncomfortable because they're so used to being alone or whatever it is. They kind of siloed themselves or whatever their reason. But I've noticed that culturally I'm having to kind of uh, like recalibrate myself again because I'm I, sometimes I'm looked at like, oh, what is she on about? But yeah, and definitely, definitely um, I've noticed... You know, I've only been back in Australia for three months now, but I've noticed how many people are on medication for all sorts of um, different, what I'm going to call like th- thought patterns um, that I don't see here as much because of the community and this, this, whether it's, you know, whether it's Christianity or not, just a sense of faith and being part of a bigger thing. There's a, there's a loneliness happening out there um, that we don't, we don't necessarily feel as much. Yeah. And I think one of my one of one of my b- biggest goals in life is to live a life where I'm deeply unalone, mm. right? Yeah. So it's just like, how do we do that? Because that mm. takes effort. It takes so much commitment. It yeah. takes work. It takes labor. Because mm-hmm. it's easier to be to to lock to put your walls up. Exactly. It's harder to be vulnerable. Right. Mm. Okay, cool. I'm feeling pretty full from this. I think this is such a <laughs> <The end>. <laughs> <laughs> great first segment. How do you feel about taking a little break? And yeah, then sure. I'm going to get some wine. No, <laughs> already got All it. All right. Uh, cool. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, we'll be back right after the short break. This is Beyond the Narrative, and I'm Fintan Nuthnautenbois. Very, very fortunate to have uh, with us today on the podcast, uh, Matisse, uh, or Maddie. And uh, Maddie and I have just been having, like, really, really 
incredible conversations around like uh, like almost somewhat of an origin story we've been talking about um, the history of a name uh, you know and like uh, important values that a lot of people that ha- call the Pacific home uh, hold dear to their hearts like faith uh, and whatever faith looks like resilience forgiveness and humor and uh, during the break actually uh, Maddie and I started talking about uh, what it means to move in between worlds and uh, Maddie said something that's so beautiful and I, I know I won't get it right uh, so uh, maybe Maddie you can correct me Please correct me. <laughs> but you said, I, I wrote down, you you feel like you live in the skies in between? Can you- um, I've always had this weird affinity with the flight between uh, Australia and Fiji. And I I think at least 50% of the time, 100% of the time when I'm alone, 50% of the time, even if people are there, I cry on the plane coming from Australia to Fiji or Fiji to Australia. Um, and there's this weird moment in between the two countries where I feel kind of like I belong there. Um, and the only way I can kind of describe it is it's sort of a homesickness for, for each. And so when I'm between the two countries, um, I don't know, I always have this sense of, oh, I'm here I am in my place but in the sky between Fiji and Australia um, yeah so sometimes especially if I've been drinking or I'm feeling particularly <laughs> <laughs> emotional when mm-hmm. some when people ask me where are you from I say I'm from I'm from the sky between the two yeah and uh, like Maddie said uh, before, uh, we've known each other for about five, six years together, working specifically around climate justice yes. and what climate justice could look like in the Pacific. And how Matisse just described herself right now is exactly how she is. Like, uh, Ma- Maddie's the one that will have like the let's do this big thing. <laughs> like, there is no stars. Let's let's just like aim for this. You know, let's just like do it. Uh, and and it's been such a gift and uh, to the movement, right? It's just like we need people who literally come from the skies and believe in the skies and live in the skies. And uh, yeah, that's such a, like, that is the most authentic description of uh, <laughs> Matisse that I can think of. <laughs> and, uh, and, and like, and like part, of, part of moving through the world that way or moving through the skies that way mm. has been dreaming up so many uh, projects Right to keep you going. Yep. And I'm uh, particularly interested in um, in your most recent project uh, called Reusolution. Yes. Right. The incredible play with words. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, tell us what that looks like. My favorite thing—a good pun. <laughs> um, okay, so Reusolution is basically a commitment to recycled and upcycled fashion in 2020. And the way that I landed on this as a side project, because uh, for the first time ever in the climate movement, I'm completely untethered to anyone else's agenda other than my own, because um, I'm working in a, in a different field. Um, but of course, this is something that runs much deeper than my um, pay packet, uh, is my climate commitment. Um, so resolution has been born purely out of frustration and also probably a little bit of checking myself um so my first job i'm sure you can tell by looking at me was actually as a fashion model thanks guys for not (laughs) making that connection one of the things i love about matisse is her her humility (laughs) (laughs) pg fashion council why haven't you called me (laughs) um so i worked for seven years as a teenager and in my early 20s and i uh modeling and because I'm very tall basically look like a coat hanger um 
and I guess my job was to make people want to buy more stuff, really, at the end of the day. It was to make people want things that were... Um, to make them, you know, look or feel a certain way. Um, and I always found it really interesting because fashion was also something that really marked me as different um, when I was at boarding school and when I was at university in Australia because it didn't come naturally to me at all. My sense of fashion is very much uh, dress like a rainbow or a unicorn and have a good time. And I equate a lot of that to do with the Pacific because although we might have... We do have fashion here, of course, and we do have definite fashion standards when it comes to cultural commitments. And we don't, you know, we try not to be too showy with our skin and things like that. And that's, of course, you know, a part of custom and, tr and traditional kind of boundaries. I personally felt, and that might be something to do with being from the beach house specifically, but I personally felt like it was never, it was never, um, a, there was never a sense of having to follow trends or this month is green and this month's stripy or whatever. I felt like we were kind of able to express ourselves a little bit more freely here. I don't know if you guys feel the same. Um, to the point where if I sat down with a group of my friends in Fiji, you wouldn't really be able to tell we're friends just by the way we were dressed. Well, as in Australia, it felt like it was this constant test where people were marked as community via their clothing. Um, and I just... It took me years to, to, to figure that out um, because I just dressed how I wanted to dress, which was one day, you know, completely head to toe in sparkles. And the next day I was like vibing a seventies thing. And that's how I left the house. So I never subscribed, I guess, to this whole, like having to follow certain seasons and trends and styles, despite the fact that my job was to try and get other people to, to sign up to that sort of a lifestyle and to make them feel left out if they didn't look like me, a size eight, six foot tall, you know, anyway, so this kind of frustration, I guess, um, led to me having, I think, a deep-seated but silent aggravation towards the fashion industry. And then when I joined the fashion, uh, sorry, the climate movement, and I realized how much of an impact the fashion industry has on the climate, on, on climate emissions, um, I got, I moved from frustration to complete anger because we're not only poisoning our minds and our hearts via trying to constantly keep up with something that's going to be always out of reach but we're also poisoning the skies um we're poisoning our rivers we're poisoning uh, local communities it's just such a dirty 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 frankly disgusting industry that feeds off people not feeling like they're enough people not getting paid enough and we also it creates so much waste and it also creates so much need for new 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 so I just don't like the industry. Um, I still love clothes. I love getting dressed up, but there's already enough. There's hundreds and millions of tons that go into landfill. Even in Fiji, we have millions of tons, no, sorry, not millions, thousands of tons that go into landfill because we accept aid from overseas and no one vets it before it lands here. So we end up with ski suits and leather jackets and denim and all the stuff that we don't need here that we have to bury in the islands because it doesn't get checked. Um, so I think that there should be a way to upcycle. Um, I believe that that brands and companies in general are responsible for what they put out, out into the world and that they should then also be able to include the material back into their cycles. I know we need industry, we need jobs, um, and so it's not a matter of cancelling the fashion industry, it's a matter of using what we already have to create more and to keep it in a circle. You can see I'm getting angry just even talking about it. I'm like, Argh! yeah. So that's so yeah. So resolution is a commitment to only choosing brands that have a circular um, fashion model, 
or just buying secondhand clothes because that's kind of the best you can do at the moment. Um, the top that I'm wearing right now is made out of recycled plastic bottles. So I do support brands that have new stuff, but they, they're creative with the way that they make it and they don't do it in a way that's detrimental to all of us. Mm. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm, I, I got sort of stuck at like... Because <laughs> I kept going. No, no, no. I, I, got, I got sort of stuck like in my mind, right? Like mm. the, the way that you're talking, there was just like this imagery was running through my mind and, mm. uh, and the fact that they dump clothes here. I know. Like we, like the Pacific has become a wasteland, a exactly. fashion wasteland. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That is, that is creepy. The way that I found out about this actually was when I was in Vanuatu with the Rainbow Warrior, we were there for three months doing some work around Cyclone Pam and um, I found out that not only were they having to struggle with getting all the the goods out to the islands, but they were also struggling with disposing of the so-called charity that Australia was sending over um, because people were sending over like one shoe and, you know, ball gowns that were ripped and it's just... <sighs> It was horrendous and people were not being clever with their waste or being thoughtful or kind with their waste. They were just using the Pacific like a big garbage bin and that annoyed me. Um, and so from there I started following, like joining the dots and talking to the, um, talking to the secondhand clothes outlets here. Gosh, it's got very noisy here all of a sudden. Um, um, talking to them here and finding out what happens to the goods that don't get bought. And that's when I found out a lot of it gets buried. Um, and then so on and so forth. The anger, the anger grew. <laughs> mm. So walk me through this. You went from frustration. Frustration? Wow. You went from self-reflection. Yes. Okay, right? good, good. Yeah. To frustration. Yes. To anger. Yes. Where to next? Action, obviously. Action, yeah. Yeah. Well, that has to be the way, doesn't it? Otherwise, yeah. get stuck in anger. Yeah. And and you mentioned that, like, for the every, like, for somebody listening in right now, mm. right? And one way they can do that is just, like, Go to thrift stores. Totally. Right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Go to thrift stores. Fix things. Don't throw them out. Um, that's another. That's another big one. Also, try and figure out if you if you have got something that's unfixable that you really don't like. You know, that doesn't bring you joy when you put it on. There are so many different ways to use that. Um, one way is to turn them into rugs. Like, turn, if you make one, if you make one, um, what are they called? We sell them in. We sell them at the projects. Um, there's. If, I can't remember the name of them, but anyway, they're like an upcycled rug. They'll you if you make one of those, it uses a uh, hundred meters by a hundred meters of material that would other go, otherwise go into landfill. I might have gotten that wrong. I might be ten meters by ten meters. Mm-hmm. Let me fact check that. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, but, uh, I think it comes yeah. out to be. Almost, I remember it comes out to be about a hundred meters of of waste, and we we actually mapped that out, which is why I'm trying to mm-hmm. remember the exact fact. But anyway, so try, so be creative. Um, but the main thing is to switch your brain off when you see that those advertisements and feel like you're not enough. Sure. Because the best thing we can do is to stop buying more. Sure. Yeah, and and also I think like I, I think thrifting really should be the way, right? Totally. Uh, and and I know I, I remember some sometimes we like a bunch of my friends and I were having a conversation and and it was around thrift stores and they're like, like it was a it was a. Uh, like a status thing like mm, you know only yeah. if you come from like lo- like yeah. super yeah. low income families then you thrifting would be the thing mm. and it's just like uh, so so part of me is like with with all things like with all things that have become green yeah. you know like it it tends to be over uh, like overtaken by a yeah. lot of like uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm saying but for for folks where who's like 
thrifting has just been a way of life. This is how they live. This is mm. how they, you know, get their clothes. We need some of the people who who would identify as, you know, wealthy or affluent right. to start thrifting. To stop. Yeah. Because it needs to be gen- like it needs to go through a gentrification process. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I've actually reached out to quite a lot of people that I used to know in the modeling industry to say, "Hey, you did your time selling new stuff. Let's you know, let's move more into this world, especially if they've got a big Instagram following because then that helps me. Um, but yeah, no, I totally, I totally think it needs to come full circle. And I, I do see it in some, in some ways. So for example, in Bondi, thrifting is quite popular um, in Byron, no matter, you know, no matter the money that you have, thrifting is very popular, but it does tend to happen in these pockets that are kind of already converted, like you're preaching to the converted. So I don't really need a huge following or I don't really need people in Bondi and Byron to listen to me. I need people in Parramatta and Campbelltown um, and French's Forest to really listen to these messages because it shouldn't be just for the like, you know, hipsters um we can actually dress in and that's sorry that's that's another thing that frustrates me people always assume thrifting means that you're going to be dressed in a silly costume it's not that you can actually wear all of the same brands that you normally wear you can wear seed and zara and look amazing at work and be in simple beautiful outfits um you don't have to be in vintage t-shirts and flare jeans um so so i think that's the message that i'm trying to get out to people is that yeah you can still dress for you beautiful such a great message thank you also i think such a great place to like take a little break Mm. uh and maybe come back and get all the stuff to be quiet (laughs) guys stop playing pool (laughs) yeah 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 uh yeah such great conversations i I have a couple questions but uh i might keep keep them for after the break uh thanks for listening and and for for you know my friends out in Parramatta and campbelltown (laughs) i see you drifting i see you (laughs) I appreciate you. I don't mean Thanks to call you out specifically. They're just, the, they're just the suburbs that I know. <laughs> it's like the first thing that came to yeah, your head. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Well, stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. This is Matisse Walton-Brown. You're on the... You're listening. I'm on Beyond the Narrative podcast. I'm here with Fenton. Fenton, ask me a question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Matisse. Uh, we're, we're mixing things up a little bit. And, and um, yeah, yeah. I asked Maddie during the break if she could do the intro, and that was perfect. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just before the break as well, we, you know, we, we had a really good conversation around the evils of the fashion industry especially in terms of like um, like the harm that it does to this single planet that we all share um, and as part of that conversation uh, Maddie really took us on a journey right uh, she talked about how she went from she went through a journey of self-reflection on the different roles that she played growing up and how that led to some level of frustration and then led to anger and then it led to doing something about that anger right that was uh, like putting a positive spin on it right and 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 in that uh, with her resolution calling people to action to do better by the planet mm-hmm. by being intentional with the clothes that they wear 
and to people listening that are thinking that there are things in their life that they might be frustrated by or angry about um, I would say the step in there that I, I have learned over time that's really important is yes you get frustrated and then maybe you get angry and then the next step I would say before going out and sort of marching and taking to the streets is asking questions and asking heaps of questions um, and going a little bit deeper than than maybe you originally wanted to and then figuring out what it is what little component of of that you can own or change um and I mean I'm still learning all of this myself um but I would say I'm better placed to to make a stand against fashion now um after learning more about the climate and also going and speaking to a lot of of people in the fashion industry than I was when I first originally started feeling that fire burning um because I think I would have been a bit too much uh of a north as Fenton has taught me which means a warrior that um that is directionless I guess so my yeah I would for anyone listening that's like a budding activist right. the asking questions uh step is really important right. calms you down as well yeah be, be curious exactly right. be curious ask the right questions ask the right people don't be too afraid to spend a little bit of time strategizing <laughs> uh, my favorite thing uh, and figuring out exactly the course of action and what you want people to do and, and how they can do it mm-hmm. um, and and in the conversation that we've been having with Maddie uh, she also like spoke to us about how you know growing up you didn't I don't know whether the right word to use is subscribe or prescribe yeah I don't know either. Uh, anyway, you yeah. didn't like the like a uh, sign up exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for a for a um, to a commercialized god, right? Correct. Yeah. As well as to um, to fashion trends. Yeah, that's right? true. You wanted, actually, yeah. You wanted like something that had an element of style that can live beyond the years. Totally. And be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you had these sort of turning points in your life when you were much younger. Mm-hmm. Right when you were like 17, you wrote in your journal, yep. like you shared with us, and these were lines that you pulled out of your 17-year-old sort of mind. Mind you, it wasn't spirit. a journal. Excuse me, it oh, was sorry. an assignment. It was I got assignment. 100% on that assignment. Nice, <laughs> nice. Again, humility. <laughs> <laughs> I probably got 80%, and I'm just like, no. I got full marks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, and I'm glad that naturally came up uh, with the with the time travel, like you going mm-hmm. back in time. And, oh yes, okay, yes, right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, Maddie, I'm I, I want to hear from you. Okay, uh, if you could do a bit of time travel mm-hmm. and go back and be face to face with your 20 or 21 year old self, mm-hmm. uh, what are some sort of uh, words of wisdom that you'll share uh, with your younger self? Okay, well, you've picked a a really really interesting time. Um, my 20s or my when I was 20 um, because and now this is going to get slightly heavy but I want everyone to understand this is something that I I have um, been through and that it's okay to talk about so I lost my brother when I was just about to turn 21 he committed suicide um, on 25th of January 2010 and I turned 21 in April so obviously if I could go back to my 20 year old self I would tell her I guess to have a little bit more um compassion and to be a little bit more aware of those around her and to understand that sometimes people are in pain and we don't know or sometimes people need us and we don't know um regardless of regardless of what happened to my to my brother obviously that would be my time travel um (laughs) change that I would make I think that even without having that huge shock and having having had gone through grief then for you know the, the following 
X amount of years, some would argue for the rest of my life. Um, take that away. I still hope that that lesson, uh, you know, would be the same because one thing that I've noticed since, you know, being a 20 year old to a, now I'm a 31 year old is I've kind of sort of dived back into my family and my, my nuclear family, even like my mum, my dad, I've spent a lot more time trying to understand my, my parents and my, my other brother Cormac, um, Ooh, plug for Cormac, WB. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, don't know why I found that so funny. Um, um, I spent a lot more time trying to understand, I guess, uh, the people that are closest to me in the last five years or even even four years since having my own children and paying them more attention um, and, I guess, coming home in a sense. Um so yeah, I wish maybe I had done that a little bit earlier because I spent my twenties even after uh, even after I lost lost, lost my brother. Um, I spent the rest of my twenties pretty much just partying and having fun and kind of like entertaining boys and thinking about the way that I looked and the way that I was being um, looked at. I guess as well. Uh, so I wish I hadn't wasted so much time with that. But in saying that. It was fun and we're out the other side now and hello <laughs> so yeah it's, it's, you know I think my 20s have been incredibly formative um, I'm glad they're finished uh, I don't feel like I missed out on anything but there was heaps of mistakes along the way that I you know I wish even if I couldn't change them I wish I could have held my hand through them if that makes sense because um, I struggled with them way more than I probably should have yeah. Oh, that is such a good visual. Yeah. Like if you could go back in time and, and hold your hand. Yeah. As opposed to like giving advice instead of like totally. talking, just like, yeah. I'm here. Um, just knowing it was all going to be okay in the end. And that's sure. the thing with grief as well. People, people equate it to, um, to labor, to giving birth. And I, and I, I actually get that now that I've given birth twice. Um, and it, what they say is that the pain remains, but it gets the, the, the contractions get further and further apart. So, so I still have that now I'll randomly have a contraction, you know, a grief contraction where all of a sudden I'm overcome with pain. Um, and I suddenly can't see that greater being that we're talking about in the beginning. I can't see that greater purpose or faith in anything. So those will come, but they'll come now every, you know, year or so. And they'll be exactly the same as before, completely uh, take me by surprise um, and make it feel like I can't function. But when you first are going through grief, those, those waves of pain are so close together that you don't know they're waves. You think it's just life. Um, and then you then one day you laugh and you realize that you get a break and then what, that break gets a bit longer and it gets a bit longer, a bit longer. And then all of a sudden you, you live again in between those contractions. If that makes sense. That makes yeah. absolute sense. <laughs> a- absolute sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, where I've heard it languished before as well was, um, that grief comes in waves. Yeah. People, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And no one had ever explained to me that if I just wait it out, wait it out, those those waves will get further and further apart. That mm-hmm. the it's they're not going to just crash on me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, was at the beginning, I didn't know that, so I spent a lot of time trying to, um, I guess, like drink my way. Or I'm using drinking as an example. Just, I mean, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I sure. definitely tried to like have fun so much that I didn't feel the waves crashing on me. And I, I it's not that I wasted a lot, a lot of time. It's just more that I, I became unaware again. Um, what if I'd been aware to start off with, I maybe could have stopped it. 
although all the therapists say do not blame yourself so mm. that's I get that mm -hmm. um, but then afterwards I did dive back down into being unaware again because it was easier uh, and I probably didn't come out of that until like 28 maybe yeah yeah uh, another thing that uh, really jumps out at me as well is, is you know, like grief and fear mm. and how they sort of have a relationship. Oh my gosh, so much, yeah. Yeah? Vulnerability. And yeah, right? Yeah, you become so aware of how vulnerable we all are. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And then having children after going through grief, the worst, because you I just know. straight away like, oh, because your heart is running around outside your body and you can't control what they do. Um, and then you just the thought of like losing one of them is just oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I what I heard specifically from you was like this. I think you. I think for me the picture that you painted for me was like grief and fear can either paralyze or mm -hmm. propel. Yeah. Right. Totally. And so I think you've really spoken so like incredibly around how it's propelled you mm -hmm. right because uh, a lot of folks can lo look back on their sort of younger years and with so much judgment <laughs> right but it's just like actually no you had to go through this in order Completely. to like yeah. come out on this other side and and the other thing that I think you you you, you like f for me really drove home was um, in in that in your journey of because it is a journey in the mm. practice of being more self-aware um, you really need to like pause and, and like really have serious conversations with yourself almost around like how do you be in relationship mm. with people and with your community yeah. and part of being in relationship with people and community is like uh, realizing that you know they're going through something what, what more can you what more can can I do and what what's like the sort of what things are invisible and how yeah. do I make time to like sit down and like have a conversation uh, which which is like sorry go ahead oh no I was just saying I was just thinking it's amazing because actually the funny thing is that even though I, want, I would love to have learned that lesson before losing someone, the funny thing is it actually was compounded after losing someone because what happened to me then was I didn't want community anymore. I didn't want people. Um, what happened to me after that was I wanted like companions for fun, but I did not want to love anybody anymore for years. I really didn't. I kind of more... I, I d totally disengaged from the idea of marriage. I really... If someone asked me to imagine my wedding, I would have gone... Ugh you know, marriage is for suckers or whatever. I'm free, I'm a hippie, whatever. Um, whatever saved me from this idea of committing and really loving people, I would have said that I believed in it for other reasons and I would have convinced myself those were the reasons. Um, but really, after after losing someone, I, I, I went the opposite way for a while, which was, oh, loving people sucks. <laughs> you know, this doesn't end well. Um, and then I guess, yeah, as I said, it kind of came out of that, I, I, I guess you know, in my later twenties, um, upon falling pregnant and I was forced out of it. Um, so that was, it's, that was its own journey in itself. Um, I wish that I could go back and kind of teach that, that 20 year old the lesson, regardless if it was going to, you know, save my brother or not. Um, because it would, it would have made me a better person throughout my twenties, but I'm still learning how to do that now even. Um, it's easier with my own kids. Uh, and then I guess the next steps, the next stop for me was then my own parents. I think that really connected with me back with my parents as well because I pushed them away a lot during that time because again, loving hurt as far as I was concerned. So it was more, it was better just to be in traps, <laughs> <laughs> having a good time with everyone. Uh -huh. um, yeah. 
I still like traps, just to let you guys know, <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I love how you, I, I think you languaged it as like, in your later 20s, you felt like you were coming home. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, to people. Because I, yeah. I was letting people back in, so. Yeah. And, mm. and so, you know, 20, 27, you're now like 31. Yeah. I'm you, so old. <laughs> you still could see, and I, I, I feel like you're coming home more and more. Yeah. At least from, from what I know of you. Mm-hmm. And that's like so incredible to like, at least over the, the course of this conversation, you started being like, I was displaced, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So true. So like, I'm actually, I'm coming home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I probably wouldn't have articulated where I was from as clearly in my twenties. I probably, in my early twenties, I might've been a bit more confused about it mm-hmm. and also just not paid attention to it because I wouldn't mm-hmm. have cared. I would have cared more about where I was going. So, yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you um, showing so much vulnerability Thank with you. strength, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's not... It's time for us to <laughs> go paddleboarding. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not easy to share deep truth so authentically and and courageously Mm -hmm. so i really do appreciate this i think this will be a gift to like the folks that are listening in right now and i i especially wanted to thank you for taking the time (laughs) to like sit with us uh surprise podcast (laughs) (laughs) and like uh share so much of yourself uh in this time that we had together thank you as always, it's lovely talking to you guys. <laughs> See you on the water. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks so much for listening in. Uh, we will be right back. Bulvanak again. And thank you so much for listening in. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and want to either follow more conversations that are bound to happen or keep this particular conversation going i invite you to follow us on the beyond the narrative instagram our handle is beyond the narrative or you can subscribe to our beyond the narrative soundcloud where all the episodes of the entire podcast will be stored Uh, And if for some reason you have any specific questions uh, that I didn't get a chance to ask to any of the people that I interviewed, uh, feel free to reach out and I will connect you with all of the brilliant minds that have shared their truths so selflessly on our episodes. Once again, thank you so much for joining us.